I'm Father Ron Shipley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to the revised edition of Episode 2 in the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lord's Prayer, Phrase by Phrase. As part of the AIC celebration of the start of our second decade on the web, this edition includes enhanced cross-references to other AIC resources in video, podcast, and print media, all accessible on demand through links on the digital library page or the virtual bookstore. In Episode 2, my focus is on the final three petitions, that is, the fourth through the sixth, the doxology, and finally, some summary remarks. Episodes in the series are linked from the digital library page on our website at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The opening and closing music for the series is the first verse of Jesus, Lover of My Soul, written by one of the church's most prolific hymn writers, Charles Wesley, in 1740. It is arranged to the Welsh tune Aberystwyth, composed by Joseph Perry in 1789 A.D. and ably performed on his church organ in England by Richard M.S. Irwin. I thank Richard for granting permission for its use. He makes his music available for parishes without an organist through his dedicated webpage, https colon slash slash play dot hymnswithoutwords.com. See the terms and conditions on the site. The first of the remaining three petitions in the Lord's Prayer is perhaps the most famous. Give us this day our daily bread. It is also the most difficult and most misunderstood of all six petitions. In the Greek New Testament, the words which the King James Version translates as daily bread are epiousios, artos, which literally means needful bread or loaf. Epiousios is a New Testament word rarely found anywhere else. Many scholars believe it is an allusion to the manna provided to the Hebrews during the exodus from Egypt, described as bread from heaven in Exodus 16, verse 4. The first translation using bread was St. Jerome's early 5th century translation into Latin known as the Vulgate Bible, completed around 405 A.D., St. Jerome's translation rendered the two words, ebiusios artos, as supersubstantial bread. Three readings from the New Testament provide glimpses into the true meaning of the King James words, daily bread. The first comes in the same setting in which Jesus first speaks the Lord's Prayer, when he says this to the disciples in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The second glimpse is found earlier in the Gospel of St. Matthew in the account of the three temptations of Christ. When tempted by Satan to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger during the forty days in the wilderness, Jesus replied in Matthew 4 verse 4, Man does not live by bread alone. The third and final New Testament reading, which confirms that spiritual and not literal, tangible, earthly bread is what is meant, is John 6, verses 22 to 58. In St. John's account of an encounter between Jesus and a group of Pharisees and scribes at Capernaum, Jesus declared in John 6:48, I am the bread of life. For more on the encounter, discuss verse by verse, see episode 30 and episode 31 in the AIC online Bible study series, New Testament Gospels, using the episode links on the Bible study page at our website, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The daily bread in the Lord's Prayer means we are asking the Father to send us all things which are needful, both for our bodies and our souls. In other words, spiritual as well as earthly physical nourishment, both provided to the faithful by the God who provides for his people. The fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer, as used in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, is and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In this episode, I explore the reasoning behind the trespasses versus debts issue. Precedent for transgressions are William Tyndale's New Testament, the first translation of the New Testament into English, published in 1526 A.D., and Miles Coverdale's Great Bible of 1539, commissioned by the Church of England for placements in all the pulpits of the Church of England. The first use of debts was the King James Version, published in 1611 A.D. In all traditional Anglican prayer books, at least through the 1928 edition, the Tyndale and Coverdale translations have been used for the text of the Lord's Prayer, and they say trespasses. The choice is more than an argument over semantics. The traditional prayer book use of trespasses is based upon Jesus' own words later in Matthew 6, here using the text from the King James Version of Matthew six fourteen and 15 in which he explains the condition to forgiveness by the Father. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if ye forgive not their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. For more on the conditional aspect of forgiveness, 
in the broader context of God's merciful nature and his love for his creation, see two other AIC bookstore publications. Mercy and Fear of the Lord is found on pages 80 to 83 of Beliefs of the Anglican Church, and the reference to Mercy and Merciful in pages 142 to 144 and a further explanation of trespasses on pages 227 and 228 in Layman's Lexicon. All these books are available in paperback or Kindle editions at our virtual bookstore at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The sixth and final petition, another which is widely misinterpreted, is... And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In some denominations, this is considered two separate petitions. The traditional Christian understanding, based upon the teachings of the early church, is that the person who is praying to the Father in the Lord's Prayer is one petition in which the petitioner is asking God for two things within one request. First, to lead him away from temptation, and second, to deliver him from the hands of Satan. The words of the prayer express the Old Testament and New Testament understanding of Satan as tempter, recognizing one of the two core beliefs of Christian spirituality, the reality of evil in the world. In the book of Job, God asked Satan in Job 1, verses 7, verse 7a, From where do you come? And Satan answered in 7b, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. St. Peter put the same concept into a New Testament context in his first epistle with this warning and advice including the second core belief of Christian spirituality, the Christian faith as the only antidote to the reality of evil in the world. In 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, he wrote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. The illustration is a 6th century mosaic of St. Peter at the Hagia Sophia, Constantinople, now Istanbul, Turkey. Another traditional early Christian understanding based upon the Greek Septuagint Old Testament needs constant reinforcing in our modern age, especially if we are to truly understand the sixth petition in the Lord's Prayer. Even if you accept that Satan is the tempter, Each of us, as a Christian, cannot escape responsibility for our own part in sin and find defense by blaming the Lord. Here we find support in Ecclesiasticus, one of the wisdom writings of the Old Testament, which is read in the Anglican lectionary. The author, Jesus ben Sirach, wrote in the 2nd or 3rd century before Christ, In Ecclesiasticus 15, verses 11 to 13, here using the SAAS translation, Do not say, I fell away because of the Lord, for he will not do what he hates. 
Do not say it was he who led me astray, for he has no need of a sinful man. The Lord hates all abominations, and they are not loved by those who fear him. The illustration is a detail from the sacred book of honor of the Fouché, named after a prosperous family of weavers in Augsburg, Germany, drawn by Georg Brew the Younger between 1545 and 1549 A.D. In the New Testament, the same wisdom is found in the epistle of St. James. From James 1, 13 to 15, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The second phrase of the sixth petition, but deliver us from evil, is more easily understood by those who read or say the Lord's Prayer using the New King James translation, deliver us from the evil one. A more accurate and literal translation of the Greek New Testament, tonponeros, in this interpretation, the reference with the definite article is to a very specific evil and not evil in general. The final part of the literary structure of the Lord's Prayer is the doxology, which is found only in the Gospel of St. Matthew. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. The term doxology is from two Greek words, dox meaning praise to the Lord, and logi meaning words. In the Anglican tradition, the most common form of doxology is the Trinitarian hymn, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow, written by Thomas Ken in 1709, and usually sung to the tune Old Hundredth. Another simpler form of doxology is the word Alleluia, which is derived from a Hebrew word which means literally praise to the Lord or Yah, Alleluia. Yah, of course, is a shortening of the never spoken personal name of the Lord God or Yahweh. The doxology is meant to affirm the Christian understanding that God is the Almighty, the one and only true God, that his kingdom is everlasting, that all power rests with him, and that all the faithful should always recognize him, generally through regular church worship. The most credible theory on why there are two versions of the Lord's Prayer advocated in the New King James Study Bible is that the oldest manuscripts of St. Matthew's Gospel did not have a doxology. That theory raises the question of the origin of that doxology. 
The first of two credible theories is that it was added based upon a nearly identical prayer in a book known as the Didache, which literally means the teachings of the Twelve Apostles, first published around 65 A.D. The illustration is the first line from manuscript number 1056 of the Didache, first revealed to the Western Church in 1873 by Philotheus Byrenius, Metropolitan of Nicomedia. The document is known as the Codex Hierosolimitanus. The second possible inspiration is King David's song before the dedication of the temple, part of King David's last prayer recorded in 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10b to 12. The illustration is David the King, a miniature illumination in colors and gold on parchment from a breviary made in the Netherlands between 1450 and 1460 A.D. from manuscript Egerton 1152, folio 134v, at the British Library, London, England. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head of all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Whether from either of these two sources, it is possible that the doxology was added during the copying of the manuscript of the Gospel of St. Matthew, imitating a liturgy with a doxology from the first or second century in the early church. The final word of the Lord's Prayer in both the Gospel of St. Matthew and the Gospel of St. Luke is Amen. Amen in Christian worship came from a Hebrew word literally meaning, so be it. For more on the meaning and scriptural uses of Amen, See the entry Amen, pages 9 through 10 in Layman's Lexicon, and Amen in Revelation on page 63 in Revelation and Idealist Interpretation. Both these books are available at our virtual bookstore at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. One of the core missions of the Anglican Internet Church is to enhance and improve the popular understanding of Christian beliefs, and to enhance knowledge and understanding of the concept of Christian spirituality. In the Lord's Prayer phrase-by-phrase videos, I have discussed the history and context of the Lord's Prayer, explained words and phrases from both the spiritual and literal perspectives, and provided illustrations, including icons, drawings, documents, and photographs of monuments of perhaps the most famous prayer in the New Testament. I thank you for joining me for the two episodes in this series. 
Other AIC resources mentioned in this episode can be accessed on demand 24-7 from our website, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. You can watch this and other videos in the Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video categories from either the Bible study page or the digital library page. If you prefer, you can listen to podcast versions of all our videos using links on the podcast archive page and podcast homilies based upon readings in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer from the links on the podcast homilies page. Or you can acquire and read any AIC bookstore publication using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The link takes you to my Amazon Author Central page, where nearly all our books are available either in paperback or Kindle editions. The dedicated direct link is https colon slash slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. All the words after dot com must be in lowercase only. Please be assured that 100% of all book royalties are contributed to the AIC. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.